Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. We are in part six of a seven-part series. Uh, all of these studies, the notes and recordings are available at our website. That's new-life-ministries.org. And if you are following along in the notes, we are on page 132. And again, that's part six. We are looking at the sixth of seven nations that the Israelites needed to conquer in order to take over that promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And we've been looking at them one by one and trying to understand through the Holy Spirit and the scriptures what each one of these enemy nations might represent for us. We know that we've also come out of bondage, and we're moving into an, an abundant life in Christ, and ultimately, we want to enter into the promised land of heaven, the eternal kingdom of God. But just as with the Israelites, we learn in the New Testament that there are many enemies, many spiritual forces that would like to oppose and even stop our progress and our journey to that promised land. And we are continuing on tonight with the sixth nation. I thought we were going to finish it before now, but the Lord seems to keep adding more to this one for some reason. The Parasites. And hopefully we will be finishing with them tonight. Uh, the Parasites we saw are unique among the seven nations, we know nothing about their origin or their genealogy. We just don't know where they came from, which seems to be quite fitting with their character and what we have taken them to represent spiritually. The word parasite comes from the Hebrew word paraz, which means to separate. And it seems to be true in two different senses. They were separate from others, and they also represent a spirit that would like to bring separation and division. And so we've taken this nation to represent a spirit of independence, separation, and division. And of course, from the very beginning, Satan has wanted to divide us from God. He wants to bring a division between us and the presence of God. And we've looked extensively now at the fact that God wants to have a church. He wants to join every born-again believer together into one body. And that unity in the body of Christ is something that Satan continually attacks and so this spirit of the parasites is very prevalent. It was in the early church as it is in these last days. And the apostles we saw wrote extensively warning about this kind of a spirit that wants to bring divisions, separation, and even cause people to leave the church and to become uh, in a sense, a law unto themselves. Now, 
we want to finish looking at how to overcome this spirit. And we're looking at five main points, and I'll review them very briefly so that we can move on and hopefully finish tonight. The first step we saw is to surrender to God's kingdom, to his laws, to his rule, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the opposite of a lawless, independent spirit. It's to be totally dependent on God, totally surrendered to his kingdom rule. And we we pray every day, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. That sounds nice, but you need to make it personal. Lord, I want your kingdom to come into my life. I want your will to be done in my life. That's the way to counteract this independent spirit. It's to surrender to God and allow him to rule over your life. Secondly, we saw it's important that every one of us get joined to the body of Christ. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We all belong to one another. We're all members of one body. And very clearly, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul develops that whole picture of many members, but one body. And he stresses there that God placed the different parts, the different members, into that one body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And Paul went on to say there, there should be no division in the body. No division. Now, the third thing we looked at last time, and this is where it gets a little bit harder, not only submitting to God, but submitting to those authorities that God has placed over our lives. And we saw three basic realms in which God has established authority. One is in the home and the family. A second one is in society. That would include the workplace and civil government. And the third area is in the church. God has established authority in all three of those realms, and we saw many, many scriptures last time where it is good for us, it is for our well-being to submit to authority in each one of those places, in the home, in the workplace, and in society, and certainly in the church. Now, I want to continue tonight looking at point number four. And again, if you're following in the notes, this is on page 132. And a fourth way to overcome this divisive spirit, this parasite spirit that wants to separate and divide. Watch out for gossip, slander, and criticism. This is a biggie. And I've got some more scriptures to add that aren't even in the outline. Watch out for gossip, slander, and criticism. These are things that the enemy uses to divide and conquer. He likes to bring 
separation and division, and this is one of the chief ways that he can introduce it into the church. Gossip, slander, and criticism. All right, let's look at some scriptures. Proverbs has a lot to say about gossips and slander. We'll look at three verses from Proverbs. Firstly, Proverbs 16.28, a perverse person stirs up a conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Notice that. A gossip separates. That's the parasite spirit, the separating spirit. New American Standard calls it a slanderer. A gossip or a slanderer separates close friends. They were once close friends. All it took was a few words, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of slander about someone, and it brings division. Proverbs 17 and verse 9, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Our fallen human nature likes to keep repeating other people's faults and failures. The love of God covers over a multitude of sins, the Bible says. Love covers offenses. This parasite spirit likes to keep repeating it. Oh, did you hear what Johnny did last week? Did you hear what happened in the church? Did you hear about the pastor? And, oh, we need to pray for this situation. Those are famous last words, but it's really not about praying. It's about repeating the matter. And the end result is clear in both of these, both of these scriptures. It produces separation. It separates close friends. Proverbs 26 and verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Very interesting. Take away the wood, and the fire is going to die out. Take away a gossip, and a quarrel will die out. So, the... The key here we're going to see in some New Testament passages is we need to watch out when we discern this kind of a spirit in an individual or trying to creep into a church, a spirit of gossip, slander, and criticism. And one of the surefire signs of an independent person with this wrong spirit, they're very often critical. They criticize the leaders, they criticize other people, they slander, they talk bad behind people's backs. It's a wrong spirit, and we need to be careful with it. Let's look now at a couple of passages in the New Testament. James chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister 
or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Do not slander one another. I want to turn to another passage that's not included here in the notes, and it's found in the book of Jude. And Jude, as you know, is just one chapter, but I want to read uh, a number of verses here because I think it fits right in with this whole discussion. Jude and Second Peter have a lot of similarities, and they both talk about false prophets, false leaders, and different individuals who can bring great harm into the church, if not checked, and if not discerned. And as I've mentioned earlier in this section, even in the early church, the apostles addressed this problem frequently in their writings, because it was already prevalent in the first century. They had problems with divisions, and antichrists, and false apostles, and false prophets, and different people who would try to bring division and confusion into the church. Um, I'm going to begin reading from Jude, verse 8, and go all the way down to verse 19. Jude 8, down to verse 19. It says, in the very same way, these dreamers, in context, he's talking about different false leaders that were trying to infiltrate the church. In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. They reject authority, we've talked about that, and slander celestial beings. Notice those two things go hand in hand, rejecting authority and slander. Verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men, <coughs> excuse me, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. There seems to be a certain recklessness about these independent people that later on he's going to call wandering stars. They were not under authority. They were independent. They were a law unto themselves, and therefore they felt justified in slandering, accusing, criticizing anybody, including the authorities that God had established in the churches. Notice again verse 10. These men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Verse 11, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain, 
They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. I, I have to pause again here. Notice <clears throat> a pattern here. Rejecting authority, slander, and rebellion. They're, they're all this parasite spirit. A rejection of authority, an independent spirit, a rebellious spirit that leads to slander and criticism. Verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feasts. It's very clear these individuals were infiltrating the church. They were right there in their church services, in their fellowship, blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. Now, shepherds is another word for pastors, which clearly identifies these were people that were held in some esteem as leaders, maybe preachers, pastors, who knows what exactly their positions were, but be that as it may, they were not really functioning as true shepherds, because it says here, who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. We already touched on this a little earlier. All of the stars, all septillion, give or take a few, of the stars God created, every one of them follows a distinct course. All of the planets, all of the stars, all of the heavenly bodies, they're governed by certain laws of physics, gravity, and so forth. But these wandering stars don't seem to obey any of the rules. They go their own way. They're wild waves. They're, they're not under control. They're not under authority. They're wild. They're wandering. Verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Notice especially verse 16. He's still talking about the same people. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Wandering stars, independent, wild waves. Now he adds grumblers and fault finders. Verse 17. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. 
They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you. Whoa, stop right there. These are the men who divide you. That's the parasite spirit. They're not content to be wild waves and wandering stars. They infiltrate the church. They're there at the love feast. They're in the fellowship. And they're bringing division. How? Well, one way, they grumble and they find fault. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They slander people who are in authority. They reject that authority. But more importantly, they infect other people in the church with that spirit of criticism, fault-finding, and rejection of authority. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. This was already a big problem in the early church. And so the apostles had to warn people, watch out for this spirit of slander, gossip, fault-finding, criticism. Uh, it's basically one and the same spirit, a rejection of authority and a criticism of that authority. Watch out. Be careful. This spirit can do a great deal of harm in churches. Coming back to our notes, if you are following them, in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus gave a very clear teaching on what to do when a quarrel or a conflict arises between two people, particularly two Christians in the church. It's, it's so sad that this isn't followed more often, and if it were, it would save us a lot of heartache and a lot of church splits and divisions and lawsuits and even worse things. Quarrels and conflicts come. They're a part of life. And we, we should almost expect them to come from time to time. They will happen. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he gave this teaching in Matthew 18. Many even refer to it as the Matthew 18 principle. It's a principle on how to deal with conflicts in relationships, especially in churches. Matthew 18, starting with verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Notice, he does not say, get on the phone and call 20 people on the prayer list and tell them all what Brother Joe did 
last Sunday and cloak it in some nice spiritual language. Well, you know, we need to pray for Joe. He did such and such last Sunday. No, that is not what Jesus says to do. If you see your brother or sister sin, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Do it in private. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And that's as far as it goes. You did it in private. The brother or sister heard you. They acknowledged their fault. They repented. Relationship restored. Brother and sister restored. Everybody's happy. End of story. But, Jesus knew that would not always be the case, because he knows human nature better than anyone. But if they will not listen, they're defensive, maybe they even attack you, they call you a liar, or it doesn't go well. If they will not listen, take one or two others along. Maybe get the pastor or another elder, a mature brother or sister from the fellowship. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Notice we've now elevated it in this second phase. We had to include some other people. This couldn't be handled in private, so we've now taken along one or two others. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, now after taking two or three, they're still argumentative, they're defensive, they're refusing to repent, they, they will not acknowledge their fault, they won't change. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You know, I find many churches just plain unwilling to follow these steps. They're unwilling. They don't want to do it God's way. They think they know better than God. And so, rather than deal with this thing in a biblical way, they can go to one of two extremes. They get on the phone and they gossip about the person, basically destroy their character, and they end up leaving the church. Or the person who sinned is never confronted. They go on in their sin, and the church never really deals with it. And like a cancer, it goes on eating away at the church. And we'll look at a verse in a minute where Paul had a situation like this in the Corinthian church, and he actually says, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Get rid of that leaven. Leaven, in this case, is some evil that is going on in the church, and it has not been confronted, and there's been no repentance, and it has not been corrected. In Third John, 
third John, the third epistle of John, there was an individual who's actually named. John calls him out by name, Diotrephes. And here's what he has to say. Third John, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. This is the kind of stuff that was already going on in the early church. This guy, Diotrephes, was obviously some kind of a leader, maybe a pastor or a bishop. We don't know too much more about him, but he was obviously in a position of authority and power because he had the authority to put people out of the church. And he was gossiping maliciously to the members of the church about John and the other apostles. He says, not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He he basically said, John, you're not welcome in this church. Maybe some other visiting apostles were not welcome in the church. And he was basically on some kind of a power trip where he was running the whole show and refusing to even welcome John and the other apostolic leaders. But the the reason I'm calling out this passage Notice what it says. I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Same spirit Jude talked about, rejecting authority, fault-finding, and slandering those who were in positions of leadership and authority. All right. Finally, Point five, and this is somewhat related to what we've just been talking about. Stay away from wandering stars and independent people who have a critical, divisive spirit. Doesn't sound very loving. And this is where a lot of people uh, go wrong. They say, oh, no, no, we need to love everybody. We just need to love everyone. We need to welcome everybody into the church. And we can't take this kind of a hard line that Paul and John were promoting. Oh, really? Well, let's look again at what they have to say about this. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. This is Paul writing. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions, kind of like you would be watching out for danger, watching out for ice on the road, watching out for a hurricane or a tornado. Be warned. Watch out for those who do what? 
who cause divisions. They have this parasite spirit. Watch out for them. And they put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Notice they were saying something different. They were contradicting what Paul and the apostles had taught them. Keep away from them. You can't get any plainer than that. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. You see, as Christians, we absolutely have to have discernment. We must be able to discern in order to do what Paul's saying here. We have to be able to identify when someone comes along with this spirit, this divisive, fault-finding, rebellious, independent spirit. We must be able to identify it. Otherwise, how are we going to know how to stay away from them? He says, keep away from these people. They're not serving the Lord. They're self-serving. They're serving their own appetites, just like Jude said. They're shepherds who feed themselves, and they use smooth talk and flattery to deceive naive people. I understand. It doesn't sound very loving. But, you know, many Christians adopt what I would call a sloppy agape kind of love. Agape, of course, is the Greek word for love, but this is kind of a sloppy love where we just love everybody and we don't have any wisdom, we don't have any discernment, we're not able to tell the difference between a sheep and a wolf. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, very familiar verse, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 17. Jesus uses the same words, watch out. He's warning us, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, they dress like sheep, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So we're not going to be able to recognize them with our natural senses, we're going to need spiritual discernment to see beyond the clothing, to see the inward spirit that's behind these people. Inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So, we can't tell just by looking at the clothing but we can discern through the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and we can look at the fruit of their lives. We can look at their character. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Jude and Second Peter 2 tell us a number of the fruits to look for. We've, we already read a number of them 
in Jude's account. They're slanderous, they're rebellious, they speak recklessly against people in authority, they're grumblers, they're scoffers, and the biggest fruit of all to look for, they bring division. I want to read some other scriptures that are not found in the outline, and I want to go to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1, and this is one of many scriptures that I would offer to someone who says, Pastor, that doesn't sound very loving. You know, you're rejecting people, you're avoiding them, you're sort of putting a mark on them to stay away from them. Shouldn't we love them? Well, let's see what love is, first of all. Philippians 1, from verse 9 to 11, this was a prayer that Paul was praying for the church. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern. Stop, right there. So love isn't just ooey-gooey emotion, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern. We need love with discernment, love with knowledge, love with depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all, the <clears throat> all these scriptures we're looking at, I think it's talking about a godly love with discernment. We have to be able to discern wolves, false prophets, divisive, wandering stars, people who are independent and do not have the Spirit of Christ. They're not serving our Lord Christ, but they've come to bring division into the churches. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, in Jesus' message to the Ephesian church, he praises them for one outstanding quality in Revelation 2, verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. They had discernment. That's really what he's praising them for. They had discernment, and they were very much ready and willing to test people who came along, claiming to be apostles, prophets, etc. And in some cases, they didn't pass the test. You have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. 
and have found them false. I, I never cease to be amazed at some of the stories I hear of big churches, mega churches, that seem to have lost all discernment. They allow every Tom, Dick, and Harry false prophets to come into their churches and rape the people spiritually and, you know, have these $10,000 prophecy lines where they're taking people's credit cards in the church to get a $10,000 prophecy. What nonsense! Where is discernment in the church of Jesus Christ? It's not all love, 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 love. We have to have love with discernment. Thank God the Ephesians were able to discern when a false apostle tried to infiltrate one of their congregations. Look at some other scriptures also. The book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. Titus 3, verses 9 to 11. Paul says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. The next verse tells us the source of all these controversies and arguments and quarrels. Verse 10, warn a divisive person. There it is, the parasite spirit. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Again, many churches would never dare to do this. They just believe that God's called them to love everybody, turn the other cheek, look the other way when some divider comes into their church and starts stirring up arguments and quarrels, and before you know it, they've divided the church. Paul says, warn that person. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. First time, maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Take him aside and say, you know, we've been watching you since you've been attending our church. We notice you're creating a lot of controversy. You're contradicting a lot of the teachings in the church. You're even finding fault with the leadership and undermining the whole authority of the church. Uh, we're giving you this warning because you need to stop it. You need to repent. And you need to humble yourself and come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, in, in this case, the person goes on with the same pattern, bringing division, conflict, quarrels, arguments, confront him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Stay away from this kind of a person. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. You see, there's a wrong spirit operating here. 
And no amount of sloppy agape is going to change that. We have to have love with discernment because on a larger scale, we need to love the church the way Christ loves his church. And if you have a real shepherd spirit, you're concerned about the church. And if, it, if there's an enemy trying to bring division or trouble into the church, your love for the church calls you to confront this kind of a spirit before it can do further harm and damage. All right, quickly, a couple of other passages that are not in the outline. Back to 1 John. Remember, John is known as the apostle of love. <laughs> well, more than any of the other apostles, he has some very hard words in his three epistles. And we've already read one of them in 3 John. Let's look at a few others in his first and second epistles. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Side note, if that was the case in John's day, how many more Antichrists do we have roaming around planet Earth today? They're everywhere. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. This is right in line with what Peter teaches in Second Peter chapter 2. False prophets, false pastors, false teachers, and false leaders, they arise from within the church. They start out in the church, but notice what it says. They went out from us. They separated from the church. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. You see, they had a different spirit. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained <clears throat> with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now go to Second John, John's second epistle. <clears throat> this is the Apostle of Love, John writing, Second John from verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out. There are those same, same words again. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and and the Son. Listen very carefully to verses 10 and 11. This doesn't sound very loving, but this is the apostle of love telling us how to handle these situations. If anyone comes to you 
and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. You see, the reason all of the apostles echo this same warning, stay away from wandering stars, independent people, divisive people, it's for your own good. Because if you hang out with them, if you invite them into your homes and start listening to their teachings and their flattering words, before long, they've infected you. Don't bring him or her. Don't welcome him into your home. couple last verses, and we're going to finish up with these parasites tonight. I referred earlier to a situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul warned the church, a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Let's look at the context very quickly there. 1 Corinthians 5 I'm going to read from verse 1 to 11. They had problems in the church. Churches have problems. We have to deal with problems in churches. We're, we're not perfect. We're, we're imperfect, uh, fallen human beings that are in the process of redemption. And they had some real difficulties in this Corinthian church. Verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. Believe it or not, some years ago, a church that I was pastoring, we had a situation almost identical to this. I kid you not. Very grievous situation where a man who had only been married for several years, I married him and his wife, he was having an adulterous affair with his wife's mother. Oh yes, a man has his father's wife, a little bit different in Paul's situation, but basically the same perverse spirit. What do you do? What were the Corinthian believers doing? They were apparently taking this sort of a sloppy agape position. Oh, just let him stay in the church. Be nice to him. We should love everybody. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. Verse 2. And you are proud, Paul tells the church. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? We call it excommunication. You should have put him out. Verse 3, Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved 
on the day of the Lord. Very strong words, to say the least. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast, a little leaven, works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Basically, what Paul is saying is when the church allows this kind of sin to continue in the church unchecked, there's no discipline, there's no judgment for that sin, that sin, like leaven, is going to continue to work through the whole batch of dough. It's going to spoil the whole church. It's going to corrupt the whole fellowship. Paul's answer, put him out of the church. Put him out of the fellowship. Get rid of the old yeast. Now, if you're familiar with the whole story in 2 Corinthians, the man repented and is eventually restored back into fellowship. This was done with the man's salvation in mind, as well as the whole church. But it had to be confronted. Now, follow a little further along with me here, because Paul changes gears a little bit in verses 9 to 11. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. You know, you may have a boss who's an adulterer. You may have a, a co-worker who's a homosexual. Paul's not saying, you know, leave the world and go up into a mountain and live in a monastery. He says you can't do that. But here's what he does mean. Verse 11. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Verse after verse, we find like this in the New Testament, that there are certain situations where we have to have discernment, and we have to take a stand for righteousness. He says, this has to do with so-called brothers, people who call themselves Christians, but it's obvious they're not walking the walk. They're living in sexual immorality, they're greedy, they're idolaters, or notice, he specifically mentions here, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. In such cases, <clears throat> do not associate with them. Do not eat with them. Do not have fellowship with them. Hopefully, as we read earlier, they will come to repentance and they can be 
restored back into the church. A couple more verses and we're going to finish. This is back to your notes now if you're trying to follow. Sorry, I'm jumping around all over the place tonight. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 to 14. Paul says, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. That's very different from the modern approach, the sloppy agape approach. We need to confront evil when evil is trying to come into the church. Take special note of wandering stars, independent lone rangers, people with a critical, divisive spirit. You can tell them by their fruit. Watch out for them. And stay away from them. We saw that in a number of these passages. Finally, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about his soon return, they said, what are the signs of your coming, Lord? Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. We need to be very careful in these last days. There are many antichrists. There's great deception coming upon the world and even into churches. Many, many Christians, even pastors and leaders, seem to no longer have any discernment. They can't tell the difference between right and wrong, between what's godly and what isn't. We need to really pray in these last days for love with discernment, love with insight and knowledge, and hopefully it won't be too often, but when the occasion arises that we will be able to take a stand against this parasite spirit when it's trying to infiltrate or infect a church with this independent, critical, divisive spirit. Over the years, I've been involved with uh, several different churches that went through very painful, very nasty splits and divisions. And it could have been avoided had some of these principles been followed more carefully. And when Paul and John and Jude and Peter wrote these things to the New Testament church, they weren't trying to be mean. They weren't trying to sound like they were on some kind of a high horse. They were trying to protect the church. And Paul, in another place, he said, I warned you with tears night and day for three years. Watch out 
after I'm gone, wolves are going to come in, and even from your own number, men are going to arise and try to take people out of the church. They have a wrong spirit. We must be on guard. We must be watchful. We must be discerning in these last days. Uh, because the devil knows divide and conquer. If he can break apart the body of Christ, if he can divide Christian against Christian, brother against brother, then he's well on his way to succeeding. We must pray for the unity of the body. We must pray for discernment to be able to recognize this parasite spirit and to completely overcome it and conquer it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that your spirit is a spirit of unity. You want to bring people together into one body under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that the enemy comes to bring divisions, to bring quarrels and and independence and rebellion and slander and criticism and gossip and all these other things that we've read about tonight. My God, help us to fall on our faces before your throne, submit to the government of God, submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, praying, Lord, have your way in my life. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come into my life, into my home, into my family, into my business, into everything that concerns me. Lord, you rule and reign over my life. Help me to submit to every God-ordained authority, both in the home, in society, in the workplace, and yes, even in the church. God, I pray that you would cleanse us of all slander, gossip, criticism. <clears throat> Lord, even the prophet Isaiah, when he came into the presence of God, he fell down undone, and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people who have unclean lips. And Lord, you took a coal of fire from the altar and touched his lips and cleansed him. Cleanse our lips. Cleanse our speech, O oh God. Let it be wholesome, edifying, speaking only the words of God, building one another up in the faith, not tearing down, gossiping, slandering, and criticizing. And Lord, I pray for your church that you would raise up discerning pastors and shepherds and leaders that can guard the church against this spirit, this divisive, wandering star spirit that would try to infect churches. God, protect and preserve your churches. Keep your people under the blood of Jesus. Keep them safe by your spirit and by the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for each and every one on this Bible study line tonight. Now seal up these words in our hearts. Give us deeper revelation and understanding as we meditate upon them. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only as we draw ever nearer
to you to your soon return, Lord Jesus. Help us to keep looking up, watching, praying, preparing for your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.